Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Fathers, we come now to your word. We ask that you would do a work of grace in our hearts by your Spirit. Convict us of our sin. Comfort us with your gospel. Water the hearts of those that hear your word, that this seed sown in weakness would be raised in power. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we begin a new sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And as you know, Luke is one of four Gospel accounts. But why are there four Gospel accounts? Isn't one narrative of the life of Christ enough? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because it is in these four Gospel accounts that we have that one narrative. Yes, one narrative of the life of Christ is enough. In the Gospels, it is as if we're looking at a beautiful diamond. That's a big diamond, isn't it? We're looking at a a beautiful diamond and we're turning it on its edge here to look at it from different angles. This is what we have in the Gospels. The different Gospel accounts give us different angles, different perspectives on the Gospel of Christ. Different perspectives that only make the beauty and the glory of the Gospel more beautiful and more glorious. And so it is with Luke. Luke gives us a different perspective, a different angle on the beauty of the Gospel story. Luke is the longest Gospel. In fact, Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. And as I say that, I know some of you are thinking internally, oh no, how long is this sermon series going to take? But do not fear. Luke is perhaps the most diverse and well-rounded of the Gospel accounts. It contains some of the most memorable of Jesus' parables and healings. It contains the most detailed account of His life, death, and resurrection. Simply put, it is a beautifully crafted historical narrative that is given to careful study. It's well worth it. Luke, who was almost certainly the author of both Luke and Acts. Luke was a companion of Paul. So most likely he was a Gentile and a non-Jew. And we learn in Colossians 4.14 that he was a doctor. He was a physician by profession. And so because of his relationship with Paul, Luke was well acquainted with the concerns and questions of the early church. And so as he wrote this gospel account, he worked very hard, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, he worked to connect this gospel to the concerns of the early church. 
He worked diligently, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to put together for the church, as we'll read in this passage, to put together an orderly account for them so that they may have certainty concerning the things that they had been taught. This book is directed towards Theophilus. That's quite a name. It's not an Allie and I's short list. It's a great name. It means lover of God. Theophilus was most likely also a Gentile Christian. A Gentile Christian who most likely was supporting Luke's labors financially. And he was supporting Luke's labors in putting together this gospel because the church needed it. Because the church needed to have certainty concerning the things that they had been taught. And so do we. This is why we come to study this gospel. That we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. And so the question is, what do we as the church need to know to have certainty? What do we need to know to have certainty as Christians? That is the question that our text answers in verses 1 through 4. By way of introduction to the entire gospel, verses 1 through 4 answer the question. And they provide a glimpse of what we as the church need to know to have certainty. We see here in these first four verses just a a glimpse of what what will be developed further in the rest of the gospel. In order to have certainty as the church, we need to know the answer of two questions. We We need to know the answer to two questions. Two questions foundational to this book that will be developed further throughout. First, what the gospel is. And second, who the gospel is for. So first, what the gospel is. Look back at verse 1 with me for a moment. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. We learn a few things from this verse about the nature of the gospel. It says that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. What this means is that first and foremost, the gospel is news. It is good news about something that happened, about a historical event. The gospel is a narrative of something that has been accomplished. This is what the word gospel means. In the ancient world, when something good happened, When a great victory was won in battle or a prince was born, the king would send throughout the entire kingdom a messenger, an evangelion. Someone who would spread the good news about what had been accomplished. This is what we have in the gospel. This is what we have in our gospel, in this gospel, the gospel of Luke. Good news about a historical event, something that has been accomplished. 
And it's a narrative that we can trust. Look back at verse 2 with me. Luke goes on. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Here's what Luke is saying. The gospel that he has written is based off of the testimony of those who were both eyewitnesses of the events and those who were ministers. They were preachers. Those who gave their lives, literally in some cases, those who gave their lives to the ministry of this gospel. Luke here is telling us that the gospel story that he is compiling is not just a shot in the dark. It is not just his best guess about what happened concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Luke, as a historian here, goes out of his way to to defend the reliability of his process and his sources. That's what we we see in verse 3 where Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Luke here gives multiple different defenses for his work. He he provides several different levels of certainty for his work. He says that he has closely followed all the various sources and eyewitness accounts closely. Meaning that he was very careful in his process. This is testified to in the fact that when Luke quotes the Gospel of Mark, which is a major source for Luke, when he quotes the Gospel of Mark, his quotations are immaculate. He was very careful with his sources. Then he says he followed all these things for some time past in order to write an orderly account. Here's what this means. Luke went back to the beginning and he left no stone unturned in putting together a comprehensive account of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That is why in Luke we have stories that are found in no other gospel. The stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the story of a young Christ in Jerusalem. Luke went back to the beginning and strove, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, to put together a comprehensive account of the life of Christ. And he did this, as he goes on to say in verse 4, he did this so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Here's why the historicity and trustworthiness of Luke's gospel matters. Here's why Luke here takes the time to defend the trustworthiness and historicity of his gospel. Here's why I have dedicated a good portion of this sermon already in defending the historicity and trustworthiness of this gospel. If the gospel is not historical fact, it does not matter. If the gospel is not good news about something that happened, we have no certainty. The story of the gospel only matters if it's historical fact. And why is this the case? 
Because at the center of the story of the gospel, at the center of the story that Luke is about to tell, is not just something that happened, but something that happened for our salvation. What is it? I have to cheat a little bit here because the answer isn't found directly in this passage, but I think that Luke would want me to cheat because the substance of his entire gospel is this event, and this, this event is built up to in this entire gospel. This is the event that is the matter of first importance described by Luke's companion Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, where Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, this is historical fact. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried in a grave, and on the third day He arose in power and victory. If this isn't true, we have no certainty. That's what Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15. If this didn't happen, it's all in vain. That is what Luke is saying here. The substance of our certainty as the people of God is Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Write it down. The substance of our certainty as the people of God is Jesus Christ. Specifically, His death and resurrection as historical fact. His death by which He atoned for our sins. And His resurrection in which He is the first fruits of all that will rise in Him. Christian, the only certainty in this world, the only certainty to be found is found in Jesus Christ. We need to understand this. We need to understand this or we will miss the entire point of the Gospel of Luke. We'll miss the entire point of all the Gospels. We'll miss the point of the Gospel. There are many people in this world who look to Jesus Christ as somebody to be admired who look to his life for an example. Who look to his teaching for good advice. But they do not have the certainty that his death and resurrection is historical fact. And they are most to be pitied because they missed the point. The gospel is not good advice. It's not just good advice. The gospel is good news about something that happened for our salvation. Jesus Christ is not just a good example. He's a Savior. And if He is anything less than a Savior for you, then He is nothing to you. Jesus is anything less than a Savior for you then he's nothing. Because whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, 
We need saving. We need a Savior, don't we? In our sin, outside of Christ, we all bear the infinite wrath of Almighty God. We don't meet our own standards for holiness, let alone the standards of a holy, perfect God. We stand under His wrath. And so, what we all need to hear is the good news of something that has happened in history to save us from our sins and to bring us into an estate of salvation. That's what we have in the gospel. You know, all the snow this past week made me think not so fondly about the time when I drove my car up here last winter in February. I decided to drive up here a few weeks before we moved to get my car up here first. And I decided to drive in the middle of that winter storm that stretched from Texas all the way up to Canada. Friends, I'd never driven in the snow. But like a fool, I thought that it would be okay. And it started out okay. I started out in Florida where it was a chilly 65 and rainy Made it to Atlanta, no problem. Got to Chattanooga, perfect. But a hundred miles south of Nashville, the temperature just started to plummet. And then I saw the first snowflake fall. Oh no. (laughs) That first snowflake turned into many snowflakes Before I knew it, I could barely see out of my windshield. And the steering was starting to get kind of hard. And then I discovered a little light that I had never seen in my car before. A traction control light. The traffic started to slow to to almost a complete halt. Eventually it did stop. And there I was, stuck a hundred miles or so, maybe 50 miles or so, south of Nashville, in the snow, having no context for what was happening to myself. What do you think I was looking for in that moment? 50 miles or so south of Nashville, trapped in the snow, no way of getting myself out of it really, no context at all for what was happening to me. What do you think I was looking for? Do you think I was looking for good advice? Do you think I was looking for directions on a billboard of how to get out of the snow? No, I'll tell you what I was looking for. I'll tell you what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody to save me. I was looking for somebody to come into the situation that I was in and rescue me. And to my supreme joy, rescue came. I saw merging into the lane ahead of me a snowplow. I had never seen a snowplow before. But I knew that it was very good news that something was being done to save me. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need. 
in the midst of our sin, under the just and righteous wrath of God, the gospel stands as the undeniable historical fact that something has been done to save us. Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and He was raised to life in accordance with the Scriptures. It's history. It's historical fact. And without it, we have no certainty. This is the Gospel we've received. And this is the Gospel that we preach to the world. Not advice. Not moralism. Not a good example. News about something that has happened for our salvation. This is what the world needs from the church. This gospel. J. Gresham Machen, who was the former founder of Westminster Theological Seminary, puts it this way. He's explaining what we need to have certainty. What a lost world needs to hear to be saved. Here's what it is. What I need first of all is not an exhortation, but a gospel. Not directions for saving myself, but knowledge of how God has saved me. Have you any good news? That is the question I will ask of you. I know your exhortations will not help me. But if anything has been done to save me, will you not tell me the facts? Brothers and sisters, this is why we come to study the Gospel of Luke. We come in our sin. We come in our need saying, have you got any good news? We're here to find the facts. Exhortations, will not help us. Directions for how to save ourselves will not help us. My goal in this series is that you would grasp and latch onto with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, the certainty of the knowledge of how God has saved you in Christ. And that you would be empowered by the Spirit to live in that certainty in this world. That's the first thing that we need to know to have certainty as Christians. The gospel is good news about something that has happened for our salvation. Second question is this Who is the gospel for? Who the gospel is for? Don't worry, my second point is shorter than my first point. The question of who the gospel is for is a question that began with the church. It was of great significance for the early church, and so it was one of the core concerns that Luke sought to address when he compiled the gospel. Specifically, the question was were Gentiles included? Was the gospel for those who were not ethnically Jewish? Clearly the gospel came first to Jews. Jesus Christ was the great king of Israel who sat on the throne of his father David. Clearly the gospel came first to the Jewish nation. 
But what about after that? Where does that leave everyone else? Is the gospel for Gentiles, meaning you and I? And to look at it from another direction, what are we to make of the fact that by and large, the Jews in the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah, crucified him on the cross, and then rejected his gospel? These are all incredibly important questions. This is not the sermon to address all of them, but what we can pick up from these first few verses is this. This gospel was written by a Gentile Christian and was dedicated most likely to a Gentile Christian. So yes, to not even touch on the rest of this gospel or the entire book of Acts, yes, the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. That's very good news for me because when Luke was written, my ancestors were somewhere in the mountains of Scandinavia. Yes, the gospel is for Jew and Gentile. And I promise you we'll go into more detail on this as we continue on in this gospel. But here's what we need to know now. Luke saw that as a part of of his task, as a divinely inspired author, he had to demonstrate in his account of the life of Christ, that the gospel is for all people. This is a theme that will follow throughout the rest of this gospel. Who is the gospel for? Those from all nations. And this is true because the gospel is not received because of ethnic heritage. The gospel is not received because of ethnic heritage. It is received by those who repent and believe the gospel. Who is the gospel for? Those who repent and believe the gospel. And again, I need to cheat on this point, but it's worth it. Because another key theme that will follow throughout Luke is, how do people respond to Jesus Christ and the salvation found in Him? How do they respond? Those who respond in pride and self-sufficiency receive judgment. Those who respond in repentance and faith receive salvation. That is why the gospel that we preach to ourselves and to this world is a gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We do so because that's the only gospel that can save And we do so because that is what Jesus told us to do. I know some people hate spoilers, but I'm going to spoil the ending of Luke for you in his very first sermon. Jesus doesn't stay dead. (laughs) He rises in power and glory, and these are the instructions that he gives to his disciples in chapter 24. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is the gospel we proclaim. A gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, which is for all people. Friends, this is the mission of the church to preach this gospel so that sinners hear and repent and believe. 
Christ said it at the close of his ministry in Luke 24 and at the beginning of his ministry in Mark 1.15 where he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is for those who acknowledge their sin and turn from it in faith to their Savior for salvation. It is not just enough to be desperate and needy. Everyone's desperate and needy. Everyone needs the gospel. But not everyone will respond to the message of the gospel with humble repentance and faith in the Savior. That is what we'll see throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's tragic in many ways. Time after time after time where somebody interacts with Christ in all His glory and all His miracles and all His teaching and they respond to it not in repentance and faith but in pride. And for that they're judged. Who is the Gospel for? Those who repent and believe. This is the certainty that we have as Christian. The gospel is good news about something that happened for our salvation. And the gospel is for all nations, all those who repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, it is a simple message. But it is the only certainty to be found in this world. So the question is, do you have this certainty? Do you have this certainty? Are you certain about the things which you have been taught? That is the question I ask of you. Or have you been in and around church all your life? Just going through the motions. Just playing the religious game. That will not save you. Take that question home. Take this question home with you today and this week. Is Christ and his gospel your only certainty? Or have you had to come up with a backup plan? Is there something else functionally serving as your certainty? If so, I would encourage you to repent and believe the gospel. You don't need exhortations. You don't need advice. You don't need religious games. You don't need directions for how to save yourself. You need good news. Something has been done to save you. That is a fact. Turn from your sin. Turn in faith to Christ and you can be certain of your salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we praise You for the gift of grace to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. 
that in his death and resurrection we are saved from our sin through repentance and faith. Press this truth deep into our hearts, Father. Make this our supreme joy and our unshakable certainty. Keep our hearts close to Christ, Father. Tether our hope to His finished work on our behalf and empower us by Your Spirit to live in this certainty, in constant dependence on You. Grant us repentance, Father. Show us our sin. Draw us to our Savior in faith. As we now approach Your table, where we see the emblems of our Savior's sacrifice, would You refresh our hearts with His presence? Confirm to us in this sacrament the free forgiveness of our sins that we have by faith in Christ. Would we see in these elements a visible depiction of the good news of the gospel? And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, give us by your Spirit the certainty that Christ meets us in this meal, that his body was broken for us, and that his blood was poured out for our salvation. Do this all for your own glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.